Well, good morning to all of you here in Lexington and in the courtyard and over in Wilmington and Watertown and all of you watching online. Great to be here with you today. Well, this year during Advent and Christmas, we have been challenging ourselves with this message. Give more presence. Not presence with a T-S, but presence with a C-E. And we thought it would be pretty fun to communicate that message by having someone dress up as a present and give his presence as a present to those in his life. And if you missed the present guy video, you can check that out at grace.org slash Christmas. But since this video was shown, the present guy has been busy giving more presents all over the place. Here's a picture of him when he stopped by Lexington a few weeks ago. And then he was at Wilmington the week after that. And they gave him a lot of love in Wilmington. And in this last picture here, it's of our worship leader from Wilmington, Josh, and he's actually trying to unwrap the present guy. But fortunately, fortunately somebody jumped in and said, it's not Christmas yet, it's too soon to unwrap presents. President Guy wanted to make the Watertown last week, but sadly, he got sick, and so he was absent Guy last Saturday. But President Guy also made it to the national stage, believe it or not. If you saw Saturday Night Live a couple of weeks ago, Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake dressed up in their own versions of the present Guy, and they rapped, both in their words and in their outfits. But if you looked really closely, the real present Guy actually made a cameo. But in case you haven't made the connection yet, the person standing before you giving the message today is the present guy. Thanks. An unwrapped version, of course. Maybe I shouldn't have said that because some of you are thinking, why would I ever listen to anything a guy that dressed up like that has to say? But can I admit something to you? When I was wearing that present guy outfit, I never felt more gifted in my whole life. Moving along here, okay. Well, in our series so far, we've talked about giving more hope, giving more uh, peace, giving more love, and today we're going to talk about giving more joy. By a show of hands, how many of you could stand to have a little bit more joy in your life right now? All of us, right? Well, today we're going to be looking at Luke's gospel as we discover that joy is not only at the heart of the Christmas message but that it is central to God's purpose for the Christian life as well. And regardless of whatever circumstances you're facing right now, you can live a life that resounds with joy, starting today. And that's pretty good news if you ask me. So let's listen to this announcement of joy as we hear from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. In the region of Bethlehem, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors." 
Well, we heard all about the remarkable details of Jesus' birth during our Christmas Eve services earlier in the week. So today I want us to lean in closely to the angel's announcement, which lays out the implications that Jesus' birth has for our day-to-day lives. And here is this announcement again. Do not be afraid for see. I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. So do not be afraid. Several times in the birth narratives of Christ, we find the angels or angels appearing and quickly announcing the words, do not be afraid. Now, I don't imagine the angel needed to tell the shepherds not to be afraid because it was going to appear in like a a sneaky fashion as if it was hiding behind some sheep and then ready to just jump out at the last moment to try and startle them. No. I imagine the appearing of the angel had such magnificence, such prominence, such power behind it that terror would have been the only fitting reaction. The angel came as God's messenger and would have displayed at least a glimpse of God's glory. And God's glory is so overwhelming that no one in Scripture can even stand in the presence of God or even in the presence of one of his messengers. God is big. God is holy, God is powerful, and we cannot afford to take God lightly. God insists upon being taken seriously, and so we must be very careful about how we live. Yet the angel says, do not be afraid. We hear this three times in the first two chapters of Luke. He says, do not be afraid. We hear, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Living without fear when we should be worried or anxious seems to be central to the Christmas story. So if you were to answer honestly, what are you afraid of? Death? Snakes? Public speaking? Pastors dressed as presents? What are you afraid of? At FIRE, our young adult ministry here at Grace Chapel, we talked a lot this fall about the word FOMO. F-O-M-O, FOMO. This word was added to the Oxford Dictionary earlier this year, and it stands for fear of missing out. FOMO, fear of missing out. Now, I imagine that all of us at one time or another have struggled with this, and if you do happen to struggle with FOMO, I apologize if I gave you more FOMO by letting you know that something like FOMO actually exists. (laughs) But one of the things that a lot of us do to make sure that we don't experience FOMO is to try and stay hyper-connected online. You know, the the new study came out that says that the average smartphone user unlocks their phones 115 times a day. The most extreme users unlock their phones 900 times a day. So why do we get so glued to our iPhones or iPads or tablets or computers anyways? Well, I think it's because we don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out on an opportunity. We don't want to be the last people to find something out. We don't want to be left out. But when we never stop checking our devices, you know what happens? We fail to be present where we are. We miss out on the people, the places, the things that are right before our eyes but are blocked out because of the screens are right in front of us. We sacrifice living a three-dimensional life for a two-dimensional life. Most importantly, we miss out on being present 
to the very presence of God. And that's where joy is found. Fear robs us of joy, which is why at the heart of the Christmas message are the words, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, for see, the angel says. So why does the angel tell the shepherds to see? Well, because it's trying to get their attention and help them get a glimpse of the big picture, what's really going on. In other words, the angel is saying, don't get so boggled down with what's right in front of you. Lift up your eyes from the ground. Forget about that to-do list for just a moment. Behold, take in what's really going on. Pay attention, be aware, see, there is so much more. I imagine this invitation to be a lot like what happens when we go to the beach. The idea of going to the beach sounds relaxing at first, but ends up being a lot of work on the front end. You have to start by making all the necessary preparations, gathering beach chairs, rounding up towels and sunscreen and umbrellas and sunglasses and getting your Speedo. Well, it's hopefully not that. Your bathing suit. And then you have to get the kids all rounded up in the car because they're going crazy because we're going to the beach. And then you get in the car and you finally think, I can relax. Then you only hit all this traffic and you're getting mad at each other while you're fighting through the traffic. Then you finally get to the parking lot and then they're asking for like a month's salary from you to be able to park. And then you're more frustrated, and then you finally get everything out of the car, and as you start to make your way to the beach, something always seems to happen. You make your way on the boardwalk through the grassy dunes, and you get this incredible glimpse of the water as the horizon just opens up right before your eyes. All your senses are heightened, and you stand there taking it all in. All that soul-filling beauty of the shoreline and the ocean and the sun. And all that effort suddenly becomes worth it. You see. You breathe in deeply. It's awe and wonder. You start to realize how big the world is, how big our God is, and how small we actually are. And you come to be aware that you're on holy ground. And I think this is what the angel is saying to the shepherds and saying to us. Don't miss what I'm about to tell you here. Open your eyes and your hearts wide in wonder. Step out and see, because you can receive joy like you've never received it in your entire life. So do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news. So what is this good news? Verse 11 tells us, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus has come. Salvation is here. This is what all the hype of Christmas is all about, that God became man. He stepped into our world. He moved into our neighborhood. He lived the perfect life that we never could have lived. He died the death that we deserve to die so that by his life we might find real, true, eternal, everlasting life, life to the fullest. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He was born so that we may no more may die. And because he's here, we don't have to go searching and looking for the meaning of life all over the place. No, because it's here in Jesus, life to the limit. And this is really, really good news. It's good news that never gets old or overplayed or worn out. We can't get enough. And this was radical, subversive news to those who first heard it as well. 
Luke does something very countercultural here in this passage. He begins chapter 2 of, of this gospel by mentioning Caesar Augustus, who was the emperor of the day. When Caesar was born, it was announced as good news, as a savior had been born. But Luke uses the same word for good news or gospel, euangelion, to liken it to Jesus. In effect, he's saying Caesar is not the savior, no, but this baby is the long-awaited savior of the world. It's not Caesar, but Jesus. What child is this? This, this is Christ the King. And because this is a message of good news, it's a message of great joy. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy. Joy is what we want the most, but understand the least. What makes this good news news that's full of joy? Well, one way to begin to understand joy is to understand what joy is not. And joy is not happiness. While happiness and joy undoubtedly share some common characteristics, they're fundamentally different. So what's happiness, anyways? Well, happiness is tied to circumstance. Happiness depends on what happens. When good things happen in my life, I feel happy. When tough things are happening or bad things happening in my life, I don't feel happy. I feel terrible. This is why a lot of us try to control our lives as obsessively as we can. Because if we're in control, then we can do what we think is going to make us happy. And to ensure our happiness, we'll do whatever we can to rid ourselves of anything or even anyone who we do not think will make us happy. People in our day, in fact, can get so obsessed with staying happy that recently the website 24hoursofhappy.com came out. 24hoursofhappy.com. It's the world's first 24-hour music video featuring the song Happy by Pharrell, Pharrell Williams. And the song is sung to, and again, the song only lasts about three minutes, but it's sung to, danced to, and gotten down to by different people for 24 hours straight. It'll take you all day to listen to it. But I can assure you, though, that if you watch this video for 24 hours straight, the last thing in the world that you would be is happy. <laughs> but that's not just the case with this song. It's true of a lot of different people's pursuits of happiness, isn't it? Oftentimes, the thing that they went after, sacrificed for, and thought would make them happy has actually made them far more miserable. Some of us know exactly what I'm talking about. And the reason for this is that we ultimately can't control all of our circumstances, no matter how hard we try. We are not in control. Thus, we can never really find happiness on our own. The pursuit of happiness is always going to come up short of fulfilling us. But what if there was something that left us feeling content and satisfied even when the circumstances in our lives weren't all that great? And I think this is what joy is all about. And this is what God wants for you. So let me offer a couple definitions for about what joy is. Eugene Peterson writes that joy is the discovery that exuberance and vitality flow freely from God's life into my life. Joy is the discovery that exuberance and vitality flow freely from God's life into my life. 
In other words, joy is sharing life with God. It's knowing him, being with him, walking with him, enjoying his presence. Joy is taking in Christ's life in every part of your own life. This is why Dallas Willard defines joy in this way. He says, joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. It means to be content and well-off no matter what season of life you're in or what circumstance you're facing. While happiness depends on what happens, joy can be found no matter what good or bad thing you're going through. It's a pervasive sense of well-being. Last February, Aaron and I traveled out to California to attend the last conference that Dallas Willard held. It was called the Knowing Christ Conference. And um, at this conference, it was just a few months before Dallas had passed away in May. But at this conference, John Ortberg asked Dallas this question. Why do you define joy as being a pervasive sense of well-being? And Dallas replied, because joy is content with terrible circumstances. Joy is content with terrible circumstances. He says it's consistent with sorrow and despair because it's a realization of what is really going on. Joy says that even though things in my life are not okay, I'm okay because I know what's really happening. I know who is really in charge here. And Dallas said this is what Paul meant when he said in 2 Corinthians that he was as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. One of the ways that I've learned to live with more joy, and I believe you can learn to live with more joy as well, is to understand life as being like two rails of train tracks that run parallel together. Now, I first heard this metaphor from Pastor Rick Warren, who serves out in Southern California, and he said he used to understand life as being like a series of highs and lows, like a series of mountains followed by valleys, or good times and then bad times. But he said later on in life, he began to see that that life had good times in it and bad times happening all at the same time. It wasn't just one or the other, but they both happened concurrently with each other. And he said he came to this realization when he experienced what was one of the best years and the worst years of his life in the same year. This year he wrote the best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life, and it's the all-time best-selling nonfiction book ever. And God has used it to change many people's lives, and Rick just was overjoyed by that fact. But that same year, his wife Kay, his best friend, was diagnosed with cancer. And he had to go through the tough suffering with her as she went through treatments. And fortunately, she did battle and defeat cancer. But it was the lowest of lows happening simultaneously with the highest of highs. And as I looked back at my own life, I started to see that this is actually very true for me. And the best of times, there were certainly struggles that still were going on. But even when I was going through the worst stretches of my life, there were still good things that were happening. There were still gifts to receive and things to be thankful to God for. One year that put this in perspective for me was uh, the 2007-2008 school year. That year, uh, on July 28th, 
Erin and I got married, and it was hands down the best day of my life. I'm not saying that just because she's sitting over there. I would say that <laughs> anywhere. It was an incredible celebration, and we got to honeymoon in the Caribbean, and we had an amazing time. We were just on cloud nine. Then we came back uh, into the States. We were flying through the Charlotte airport, and I turned my phone on, and it had been off for about a week. And I listened to my voice messages, and I had a message that said that my grandfather had passed away while we were gone. One of the people I was closest to in my family. And it devastated me. It was such a whirlwind of emotion. We were coming back from just celebrating this great week together to having to hear this news. And I can remember sitting in the, the white southern rocking chairs that are there in the Charlotte airport, just weeping over the loss of this relationship and of my grandfather's life. We had left the country in celebration of a wedding, only to come back to grieve the loss at a funeral. After my grandfather's funeral, we continued with our plan, which was to move from Pittsburgh to, to move to Denver, Colorado to attend seminary together. And it was a lot of fun traveling across the country and getting to be out in Denver. We had new professors, a new school, uh, new friends, 300 days of sunshine a year in Denver. Why did we leave there again? No. <laughs> and I mentioned the mountains out there. Yeah, there's some mountains out there, which meant there were so many trails to, to hike, so many slopes to ski. It was an amazing experience. But we also felt all the losses that we had just experienced that year as well. The loss of being nearby family and not being close to our nearest friends and our oldest friends. We didn't know people for quite some time and it got lonely. That same year, my, my grandmother passed away and a first cousin of mine passed away. And a marriage in, in our family was ended. And it was bitterly painful. And we're feeling all the highs of all the great things happening here in Colorado and all these lows. And at the same time, we're trying our best to, to work, to, to go to school, to have enough money, to pay the bills. To, I was trying to learn to be a husband and basically be an adult at that time. And I felt just all this overwhelming pressure just caving in on me. And I just thought, I cannot keep making it. It's just so exhausting going from this real emotional high to this real emotional low. My life's all over the place, and how can I find some stability? And that stability ultimately came as we sought the Lord, and I started to realize that God wasn't asking me to try and pretend like all the pain that I was feeling wasn't real, like it wasn't true, and to try and sweep it under the rug. Nor was God trying to tell me not to just enjoy everything and kind of downplay it because there was also these tough things happening. No, but I, we sensed God's presence that we could make it through both the highs and the lows and all the struggles and all the weight of life by knowing the simple reality that he was with us. That he was with us. Psalm 16 verse 11 became a real rallying kind of cry for us. And here's what it says. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God makes known to us the path of life. It's the path of the good life. And in his presence, in his presence alone, is not just some joy, but it's the fullness of joy. The greatest experience of joy that we could ever, ever have 
is right here and available. And we began to realize that this pervasive sense of well-being could be ours even when things were at their very worst or when things were at their best. We were able to start to see that God was with us and because he was with us, even though things weren't all okay in our lives, we could be okay because he was right by our side. And I started to realize that God could be with anybody no matter what they're going through because he's with us. Just like he was with Mary and Joseph during the birth of Jesus. Can you imagine what an emotional whirlwind that must have been for them? Here they are bringing in the Savior of the world into the world. What a thrilling uh, thing that must have been. But they had to do so in such terrible conditions, away from home, on the run from Herod, fearing their lives, being overwhelmed at the reality of how on earth are we supposed to raise the Messiah. But God was with them. God was with Dallas Willard, even at this conference when he had a few months to live. He had such a deep joy, that big smile that just communicated such love of God and to the people in his presence. It was so great to be with him. But at that same time, his days were numbered and nearing their end. But God was with him. And God was with Jesus as he walked this path of life, this life of faith as well. He experienced some of the greatest highs you could ever imagine, bringing people to faith, inaugurating the kingdom of God, healing folks, performing miracles. It must have been an incredibly joyous thing. But at the same time, he knew his life was marked by the road to the cross, a road of suffering, a road of loneliness and betrayal and pain and beating and death. The book of Hebrews says, though, that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Because of the joy that he knew was his, because of the exhilarating finish that he was going to have with the Father, because God was with him, he was able to endure anything. And because Christ is with us, no matter what you're going through right now, you can make it too. Things in your life can be okay. Because in his presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy. So how can that joy be more and more in your life? I think the level of joy that we will experience is contingent upon how we answer this question. One of my seminary professors was asked, what's the greatest question ever? And here's how he replied. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Why is this the greatest question ever? That might be the second greatest question ever. But why is this the greatest question ever? Because our quality of life or our sense of joy is directly related to who Jesus is to us. The more we realize that Jesus is enough for us and what he's done on the cross is so much more than we could ever need, the more joy we're going to experience. But the less that we believe he's enough, the less joy we're going to experience. More Jesus, more joy. The less Jesus, the less joy. So who is Jesus to you? Maybe Jesus is not enough to you. When Jesus is not enough to us, we're like people seeking happiness, but really don't know where to find it. You know, sometimes we luckily stumble upon it, but we find it really doesn't last. 
We find ourselves feeling empty or depressed or we just are trying to make it through each day with the little hope or the little meaning that we still are clinging to. And our sense of well-being is directly tied to our circumstances. So when good things are happening, like when the Red Sox win the World Series, it's a great year, right? But what happens when the Yankees win? Maybe Jesus is partially enough to you. When Jesus is partially enough, we celebrate him when things are going well, when he gives us what we want. But when things stop going our way and we find ourselves in less than ideal situations, we find ourselves kind of pushing Jesus to the sidelines, kind of trying to do things our way, forgetting about going to church or reading our Bibles or praying or serving or loving people. We're going to do things our way. That's what happens when Jesus is only partially enough. Or when Jesus is only partially enough, we a lot of times find our spiritual lives stuck. Maybe you've felt stuck lately. I think the main reason that our spiritual lives get stuck is because we suffer from what's called the God and syndrome. The God and syndrome. And this syndrome is experienced when we just don't want Jesus to be the center of our lives or for us, our lives to completely revolve around him. But when we want God and something else for ultimate fulfillment and meaning. Like God and success, or God and fame or recognition, or God and pleasure, or God and wealth, or God and just more than that person who I really don't like, just a little bit more than them, or God and you fill in the blank. I believe this is the main reason why we as Christians don't live with as much joy as we could live with. I believe this is why a lot of us are still so dissatisfied in our lives with God. And I believe this is the main reason why a lot of people aren't coming to, to Jesus to find what they're really after. Because a lot of Christians aren't experiencing this joy. And we're not experiencing this joy because we want God and something else. Instead of realizing that in God we have all that we could ever want. Because in Him is the fullness of joy. But when Jesus is enough, and I hope and pray he is enough for each and every one of you today. When he's enough, you can experience that deep and abiding joy, that pervasive sense of well-being. Because when he's enough to you, you know that when though everything in your life isn't okay, that you're okay. You know when you feel lonely, that his presence comforts you. You know that when you feel broken, that he can restore you. You know when you fail, that he can forgive you. You know that when you get lost, that he is going to find you. You know when you're hurting, that he will come near you. And you know that when you're experiencing FOMO, that fear of missing out, that you have no need to fear because God is with you. And if you're a younger person in the room today, let me tell you, the life with God is a life that never misses out. The life with God never misses out. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Amen. But when Jesus is enough, you don't just know about him, but you know him personally like you know a friend. When Jesus is enough, you can't help but rejoice, just like Paul told the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice Rejoicing means to take a big, long look at everything that's going on in your life. The good things, the tough things, and everything in between. And still be able to say, regardless of what's going on in my life, that Jesus is enough. And because he's enough, I can experience the fullness of joy. To rejoice means to say, he is enough. So may we be people who rejoice. And when you have received joy like this, 
I know that you can't help but give it away. Which takes us to the last part of the angel's announcement to us. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. One of the particular emphases of Luke's gospel is this message that God's salvation through Jesus is for everyone. Not just for the religious, not just for the good people, but for the least, the last, and the lost, the outcasts of society, for you and for me. I think it's really fascinating that God used shepherds to help communicate this message through. Because shepherds in Jesus' day were really marginalized in society. They were kind of outside of the camp. Because their work responsibilities wouldn't allow them to be able to participate in the life of the faith community. So they weren't at all the religious activities that everyone else was at. And so they were really looked down upon. They were scoffed at. Yet this message of good news of great joy was for them. It's for everybody. It's for those of you who have gone to church your whole life or for those of you who haven't gone to church much or only some of the time. No matter if you've turned your back on God and tried to live life by your own rules or you've tried to follow all the rules, this message is for you. This message is for you. It's for your relatives and the people across the street from you. It's for those who you work with. It's for your friends, your foes, people who look just like you and people that don't look at all like you. It is for everyone, this message of good news, of great joy. And when you've received joy like this, living like Jesus is enough, you're naturally going to give that joy away. You're going to give it away. And I don't know about you, but I know there's a lot of people, at least in my life, who could stand to have a little bit more joy. Wouldn't you agree? So this Christmas, not just this Christmas, but how about always? Let's give more presents. More of our presence to people, but most importantly, let's be more present to the presence of God. You don't have to dress up in any crazy costume to do it, but be present to him because in his presence is the fullness of joy. He is enough. And when you live like that, you won't have to worry about giving more joy. No, because it will be contagious. Because people will see in you who is the greatest gift ever. And that certainly ain't the present guy, that's for sure. But it's Jesus. And so, my brothers and sisters, wherever you find yourself on this path of life, whether you're going through the best times of your life or one of the worst times or just maybe a normal time, doesn't feel like anything special or, or crazy, wherever you find yourself on this journey today, do not fear for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. Let's pray together. And now as we bow our heads to the Lord, I just imagine, I want you to imagine for a moment that God's with you, sitting right beside you. And imagine him saying these words personally to you, because these are for you. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I've made known to you the path of life. In my presence is the fullness of joy. And I want for you so deeply to experience this. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
Do not fear, my brother, my sister, for I am bringing you good news of great joy, and it's for everybody. It's for you. So rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And Jesus, we thank you because of what you've done. We have every reason to give thanks, to rejoice, to sing, to shout, to live life with meaning and purpose and fulfillment because you are enough. Even though everything in our lives aren't okay, may we look to you to find our hope and peace and comfort and your presence in which the fullness of joy resides. So Lord, we thank you for this great hope we can have because of the joy that is set before us and available to us always. We pray this all in the great name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.